0: Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 103.9 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Our very special guest today is guitarist extraordinaire Larry Coyell. Larry,
1: how are you? I'm fine, Frank. How are you doing?
0: Very good. Now, I know from talking off, Mike, that you were born in Galveston, Texas, but you have no memory of Galveston, Texas. Your family moved...
1: Well, a a little bit, you know... (laughs)
0: What, what do you remember about it?
1: Uh, a lot of water. <laughs> a lot of water.
0: Yeah, but yeah, I'm, you I'm, moved I'm, to the... A
1: lot of water, and there was an explosion. Uh,
0: there was an explosion when you were younger? Did that have anything to do well, with...
1: when I was four years old, I believe that there was a huge explosion in the, in the harbor in Galveston Bay due to a very high concentration of... Flammable material on some boats, and it was it, it it went down in history as the Texas City disaster.
0: Mm. Now, do you remember? And, do you remember well, this? I,
1: oh. I, I think a lot of critics uh, figured that that traumatic that traumatic event that at the age of four somehow led to my playing very loud during a certain <laughs> time period in my career. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean let's let's think about it. Do you remember the event at four years old or do you remember it, you believe, because people reminded you of it?
1: Oh, I remember the sound. It was a huge explosion.
0: Now it's gotta be frightening for a four year old to hear something.
1: Oh like. my mother was holding my hand, everything was fine. I was just a little kid, you know. Well
0: let's let's talk about your folks for a second. Are any musicians in the in the two of them?
1: Yeah, well my My biological father, who I never knew, was a professional jazz musician, and my mother was an amateur musician. And she was she was okay. She was, you know, decent, but she encouraged me to do music, and I appreciated that.
0: And what did she play? You said she's an amateur.
1: She played the piano.
0: Piano. All right. Well, wasn't say you 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 had some influences there. Do do you believe uh, that? that your nature, because of your your biological father, he played uh, played jazz. Do you believe he, uh, you know, that that he passed those genes on to you, or you're more absolutely. of a nurture?
1: You do absolutely, yeah.
0: And you never got to you never got to meet your biological father even you know sometimes people after they had success in their field and, and they get some celebrity
1: that you know I know I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I saw something on television about that recently. No that, that did not happen to me it, 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 it's, uh, it, it's not for for uh, lack of trying I, I tried but it was just just one of those things that's kind of the way my fate. Was, and that's the way it is. Do you know what he played? Piano.
0: He played piano. Wow. And uh, no, no recordings back then of him that you could nope, trace not, down? Nope,
1: not that I can find.
0: You know, that's that's the difference between now and and then. Even someone who didn't have great success nowadays, or doesn't have great success, there, there's some record. Of them because recording is you know especially now with Pro Tools and computers it's so so much cheaper than it was back then. Let's. That's
1: true.
0: Now you 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 uh, you mentioned your biological father. Did you have a stepfather?
1: Yeah, he was great.
0: And what did he do?
1: He was a chemical engineer, I believe that his line of work was what what caused us to move to the Pacific Northwest. He ended up being an engineer at a plutonium factory.
0: Mm. What kind of influence did the Pacific Northwest have on your musical endeavors?
1: Uh well, I, not very much. It, it was pretty, it was way out in the boondocks, you know. Mm. And I mostly was exposed to country and Western music, or as the Germans like to say, Western and country. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I did have a, a jazz guitar teacher in that little town who was a very big influencing factor.
0: What was his name?
1: Oh, his name was John LaChapelle.
0: Did he record anything?
1: No, he never did, but he, he spawned quite a few good students.
0: See, that's that's fascinating too and again it's just the differences in time and 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 the differences in technology. When was the first time you found yourself in a recording studio? Uh,
1: it would have to be around 1960 when I was on the road with a band of Mexicans. Mhm. And uh, there was a couple of gringos in the band, and one of them was Mike Mandel, who later became a member of two of my bands in the 70s. Mike Mandel and myself and some Mexicans. Wait a minute. Was that the band? I can't remember now. Oh, there was only two Mexicans in that band. But they were good musicians. Um, and we We played rock and roll, you know. Yeah, we we were playing like just hard rock and roll. Uh, this this was based on uh, the popular music at the time, which was people like uh, you know Chuck Berry and uh, a lot of really corny pop stuff. But we were on the road and and we ran into some people. who who heard us in Phoenix, Arizona, and we went into the studio and recorded a couple of really uh, simple little pop tunes that the guy's wife had written. The guy was trying to, you know, help his wife get a career going. And that was the first time I was ever in a recording studio.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Frank McKay, and I have the pleasure of speaking to an absolute virtuoso on his instrument and that instrument is guitar Mr. Larry Coyle and Larry it's uh, it's you know it's amazing that you still play hours every day it just uh, it, it it blows me away that has to show a lot of love for the instrument and I know you said it's it's because you're concentrating on some classical and we spoke off mic about you know about that that you're you're concentrating on playing some some things that you're not so comfortable with. What are you most comfortable with as a guitarist?
1: Oh, I don't know. There's stuff that I know, stuff that I've been playing over a long period of time, you know, standards and blues and, and some of my originals, but I find that um, we have a tendency to play better when we're not comfortable. Mm. When we're in a situation where p- people push us uh, beyond our normal our normal parameters of playing
0: do you find yourself getting bored of your own material that you've been playing for years and do you do you fiddle with it do you do different versions of them
1: uh i don't think so i i, I like i like the stuff that i i like the stuff that i do i have a certain set of compositions that i've were composed quite a while ago, but I continue going back to these pieces because, because in my opinion, they represent um, what I can do, to, the way I do it, better than um, other material.
0: Did you know when you were doing these these rock st- songs, these standard rock songs, other than Chuck Berry, who's obviously the band leader at the time, and he was a guitarist, and you know at that time he always had a solo. But the other guitarist in the other band, did you know them by name? I, I-, I imagine it was a whole. Yeah.
1: Did yeah, you? I actually, I, I I'm not aware. I was not aware of it at the time. But that's what musicians did. They really paid attention and became familiar with other musicians that they admired. For example, there was one recording artist that you may or may not remember. He's no longer with us. He died in a plane crash many years ago. The, uh, he was uh, in the, from, the, from the Nelson family in Hollywood, Ricky Nelson. Mm-hmm. And Ricky Nelson, the, some of the sessions that he did, he had a guitar player named James Burton, who was from Louisiana. And uh, he was never identified as the guy taking guitar solos on some of Ricky Nelson's uh, records. But I got wind of it through Mike Mangle, actually. He told me about the, the name of the guitar player that was on, playing these great solos on Ricky Nelson's records. And so I became very interested in that, and I found out what kind of strings he used and how he got that sound. And But, after, you know... Once I heard jazz recordings of people like Wes Montgomery and Tal Farlow and Barney Kessel, the rock stuff just paled in in comparison. I was I was not I was not pursuing learning how to play rock and roll. Rock and roll, you don't need it, much of an education to play it. But when I heard jazz, it was like well, I think I'd better go out and get a book and study this stuff and learn it and get a teacher. And I got the local teacher at the the local music store, John LaChapelle, and I got very serious about it. And I started practicing scales and started reading music. And um, not only was I doing the lessons that he assigned me, but I was... um, independently pursuing avenues of education because I sensed that jazz was very difficult, it was hard to play, and there was a lot of it, and it had a huge legacy. And that turned out to be true.
0: This is Frank McKay, if you're just joining us right now, and Larry Coyle, guitarist extraordinaire Larry Coyle, is our very special guest. Larry, what about somebody... That is a contemporary of yours that uh, that you either have played with or recorded with that you would you admired. I mean, West Montgomery was before you. He wasn't really a contemporary, even though you guys uh, you know were certainly on par with each other. Uh, who who's out there that you've played either alongside of on sessions or just never played with that you admire?
1: Well, I like Peter Bernstein very much.
0: Have you recorded we were, with him?
1: Yeah, we 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 did a tour earlier this year in Japan. We were we were in the band of uh, Ron Carter, and we did a tribute to the late Jim Hall, who was a very influential guitarist for both Peter and myself, and he really. He blew me away. He played incredible. Now you mentioned. Oh, go ahead. Blown away. It's just so nice to see young, and he's a young guy, you know, very talented, unbelievably tasteful, and a great sound and beautiful. Very graceful his playing, and very intelligent.
0: Now you mentioned earlier when you when you decided to play jazz that you knew it was going to take a little little more than just mimicking and and just picking up riffs and licks from uh, from albums and you said I had to get a book and I had to get a teacher and you had to, had to start working on scales is there a scale early on that that you learned that changed your style
1: Yeah it was called the 1 plus 2 scale it's it's a kind of a complex, diminished uh, scale, and it was shown to me by a teacher that uh, was teaching me during the time I went to college in Seattle, Washington, and that really changed the direction of my pursuits in music because uh, it just gave me something that I hadn't been able to utilize before.
0: Where did you come across it? Uh, did, you, did you hear someone playing it? You know someone. Well,
1: he showed me that scale during the lesson. Oh, he did? He, okay. Yeah, his name was Jerome Gray. And that scale and, and, and slices of music that were similar to that. In other words, stuff where when somebody shows it to you, you say, oh, okay, where has this been all my life? I've, I've, I've got to see what I can do with this, and you also like to go out and try and observe or notice how other people who know that scale how they use it. That's that's a very very interesting part, how other people use it.
0: So we got to Arizona before, and that was your first recording session. What what materialized from that? Is, is there a, was it an album? Was it a demo?
1: It was just, I think, a single. We called it a 45 single and it never went anywhere. It had nothing. You know, I started recording right around the time I went to college in Seattle, Washington. I, and I recorded with a kind of a lounge band, you know, the kind of band that used to play in uh, restaurants or bars or clubs um, where we would just play the hits of the day, not necessarily rock and roll hits, but st- stuff from Broadway Anthony Newley, you know, or older tunes by, by um, I believe people like Cole Porter. I started started learning all these. I started learning the library of the Great American Songbook, which was. I remember we played Exodus back in 1964. We played Exodus because that was a popular hit. Uh, We would play that, and we played uh, a tune called "Call Me Irresponsible." We played a tune, um, Who Can I Turn To?, and I discovered later on that the great Pat Martino made a recording of that. You you just learn the great American songbook, and then as you get, as I got closer to the jazz community in Seattle, I started learning all the stuff that was considered just jazz stuff, like stuff by Coltrane and Miles Davis and Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie People like that. Alma Jamal, um, Art Blakey, Lee Morgan, uh, uh, Diz, especially Dizzy. When D- Dizzy came through town with James Moody, I-, I just couldn't believe how great it was. And Gary Burton came through town with Stan Getz. Hmm. And little did I know when I saw Gary Burton up there playing great music in the quartet of Stan Getz that. Just two or three years later, I'd be a member of his group.
0: Wow, yeah, I mean that's—I
1: <laughs> had no idea what was, if that was going to happen. Yeah, by I... by, nineteen sixty-seven, I was on the cover of Downbeat magazine. I was in Gary Burton's group, and we were trying to to bring some more youthful musical elements to to jazz at that time, and that those endeavor. Those endeavors later on became defined as jazz, rock, or fusion. And then I was off to the races.
0: If you're just tuning in, this is Frank McKay, and I have the pleasure of speaking with Larry Coryell, guitarist, songwriter, Larry Coryell. Larry, uh, well, first of all, are there any remaining copies of that single that that the woman put out in Arizona?
1: (laughs) 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 I I, I don't think so. Yeah.
0: I imagine that would be some collector's item, some jazz fan would.
1: I had a Fender Stratocaster at the time. I had bought it for 300 bucks at the local music store. Mm. And I really thought nothing of that guitar other than that it was just a nice guitar that was in tune, relatively easy to play. But I wanted a jazz box. And it's so ironic that if I had held on to that Fender Stratocaster that I had Sunburst, I could have sold it today for twenty or thirty thousand dollars. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, look what's happened with with Les Pauls, with Gibson Les Pauls. I, you probably, I know you could have gotten them for. If I knew, if I could turn back the clock, and I mean, I could have bought you know things that are going for twenty thousand dollars for five hundred dollars. I mean, you know, at one point. Yeah,
1: we didn't we didn't know, man. I mean, how can you know and at least when you're unless you grow up in a family of like astute businessmen and you sit around the table and you listen to them talking about strategy of, of futures and options or or uh, ways of uh, preserving certain items that might be purchased and, and valued at a much higher price thirty or forty years later you just don't know mm. yeah who yeah I just, that... I just came from like a normal middle class family,
0: yeah, and they weren't thinking like that. you know, say he joined the club, either was my parents. I always joked at my, uh, to say that my father avoided wealth at all costs.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so exactly.
0: Well, listen, we have a minute and a half in this segment. Do we have you for our second segment, Larry? If you're just tuning in, again, Frank McKay and my special guest is Larry Coriel. In, in, in about a minute, uh, we're going to take a quick break, but before that break comes, where can people follow you? Do you, do you get involved with social media? What's your website?
1: Um, yeah, my wife, bless her heart, uh, my wife, Tracy, has a beautiful website. It's called uh, net, And you go to LarryCoyel.net and uh, it's all the stuff I'm doing. It's it's up there. Are
0: you are you in business for yourself? I mean, do you you release your own records?
1: Not exactly. Um, no, I, I'm really not doing that at, at, at this stage because that requires a lot of non musical activity. Yeah, it really is the business side. But um, let me put it this way: it, everything is working out just fine. uh, That's
0: that's good to know.
1: You know, I I would like to I would like to do enough as a modest business person to fund projects that I like my wife to do because she's a singer and she writes her own songs. She's not a jazz musician, but she does nice stuff, and uh, I support her. She's um, very interested in causes. I mean, we live down here in Orlando, Florida, where they have places like SeaWorld, mm-hmm. and they have these whales that they, they parade out for shows and leave, because we know the situation behind the scenes with those whales. My wife uh, has, uh, and I've supported her, joined a, a cause to save those whales and actually get SeaWorld to shut down those uh, those attractions and put the whales back out to sea where they belong because uh, their treatment is uh, it's inhumane. It's not really good for people or the animals.
0: Well, Listen, let's talk about this when we come back right after this break. We'll take a quick, quick break. Larry Coyell is my special guest. This is Frank McKay. We'll be back right after this.